When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Breaking news, everybody. Breaking news. Well, it was breaking news on Sunday night, but it's Monday morning now. I recorded my solo pod yesterday, and then, of course, I get down to the Eagles Stadium on Sunday night for practice at the Link, and it's announced that head coach Doug Peterson and uh, general manager Howie Roseman have signed extensions that will keep them with the Eagles through the 2022 season. And obviously, you know, I never let you down here on the No Huddle Show. Elliot Short Parks here. I had to come back, and I have to give you my thoughts on that. So, I'm going to talk about that for a little bit, then we'll do the quick transition into the solo pod, the ESP pod, and talk a lot about a lot of things there, about you know Carson Wentz, keeping up the special uh, bond this team started last year, the running backs, the receivers, so still training camp, a lot going on with this team, but a huge move made yesterday by owner Jeffrey Lurie when he gave five-year, essentially four-year extensions, but it keeps him through the 2022 season, so now the Eagles, they're, they're going to be your brain trust here. For, the, for 2018, 19, 20, 21, and 22. So Lurie's committed financially to these guys for the next five years. And he talked yesterday at Lincoln, at Lincoln Financial Field prior to the open practice, um, you know, which was crazy, by the way. Like 40,000 fans were there. It's the wildest scene I've seen at uh, the Link for an open practice since they moved from Lehigh. Now, obviously, the Super Bowl has a ton to do with that, but Sunday night it was just wild. So... Jeffrey Lurie talks before before the practice and says this was a no-brainer decision for him, that he sees the way Howie and Doug work together. He sees how even the, the staffs below them work together and how he, he knows from his past experience that you have to have two guys in power that are not afraid to take risks, that are forward-thinking, and that get along. And it's kind of funny when you think about you know forward-thinking, aggressive, that really was Chip Kelly, the guy that he hired as a coach in 2013 and pushed Howie Roseman aside in 2015 for. The main difference here, though, when you listen to Lurie, when, when, when I listened to Lurie at least, was he trusts Doug and Howie to be able to get along. He even flat out said he is confident there will never be any power struggles between Doug and Howie. Now, I tend to believe him just from what I've known of Doug, working with Doug over you know since he's been hired. I don't think he's the type of guy that will eventually try to push Howie out for control. But things do change. I mean, you know, Doug came in as kind of a nobody head coach. He's now, you know, maybe the one of the four most popular people in Philadelphia. He has a Super Bowl on his resume. His Eagles team's very good. If he wins another one, I mean, who knows? Now, obviously, that's, that's pushing down the line. But I thought it was interesting that Lurie said there will never be any power power struggle. And I just don't think that's something you can say. Now, over the you know next year, will there be? No. 2019, probably not. 2022 is a, is a long way away. It's five years. So we shall see. But overall, you know, I asked Larry, I said, when, when was this something you knew you needed to get done? When was, when was, this, when was the point of the offseason where you said, I need to get these guys wrapped up, can't have them go into next season without a new contract? And, you know, he said the negotiations were pretty quick and easy, and I'm sure they were. If you're Doug Peterson, you accept... 
a contract that probably makes you one of the highest paid coaches in the NFL. For Howie Roseman, he's never leaving the Eagles anyway. So accepting that contract extension was easy decision for him. But for Lurie, um, one thing he mentioned was he kind of wanted to see how Doug and, Doug and Howie were going to handle success, how they were going to, you know, take that Super Bowl from last year, transition into this offseason, and, and were they going to be those same guys? Did, did he sense any kind of, you know, falling back a little bit? And he said no. He said this team even held a meeting prior to the, the Super Bowl parade about the offense and the defense and about the things they needed to do to improve next year. He said Doug and Howie have attacked this offseason like they were 7-9 and nine or 8-8 eight and eight last year. And if you're Lurie, yes, that has to be extremely encouraging. But what I really think it did for him was it showed these are two guys that I can trust to continue build even when things aren't going great. Because, you know, Lurie dropped a stat yesterday. I don't know if it's true, but I'd imagine he'd know that he would know that every year you have a 3% chance of, of winning the Super Bowl. So, he, you know, chances are the Eagles are not going to win it next year. Now, I think everyone would agree they have, you know, as good of a shot as anybody in the NFL. But realistically, you're probably not going to win. And the, the, he has to have people in control that he can trust to year after year build this thing the right way, regardless of the outcome. And I think in Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson, he has that. And I mean, we, we should talk about Howie for a second, because when Howie was pushed, even before that, when he was, but when he was pushed aside in 2015, it really seemed like the end of the road for him. Yes, he was still in the building. And at time it was, it was kind of laughed at that he was still in the building, but it ended up being pretty important in terms of him coming back. But Last year with the Eagles, you know, the whole underdog thing, wearing the masks, nobody believing in them. Like, nobody is a better example of that than Howie Roseman. And if you've listened to this podcast for long enough or follow me on Twitter or heard me on, you know, radio or TV or whatever, you know, I was never a believer in Howie Roseman. I just wasn't. I mean, they had never won a playoff game with him as general manager until last year when obviously they won the Super Bowl. He was a guy that I thought was not good at picking out talent. Some of his contracts he gave out were bad, missed on draft picks, and they just never won with him. He didn't. He was never able to put together a winning roster. Now, last year, obviously, that all changed, and it really changed with his ability to go up and get Carson Wentz at the top of the draft. And that, that, that changed everything. But I also think bringing in Joe Douglas helped, and uh, you, know, you can point to that and say, oh, well, it's not really Howie doing it. But one thing Larry said yesterday was, Howie isn't afraid to hire smart people. And I think that year where Howie was on the sideline and Chip was running the show, Howie spent that year traveling around, talking to different people in all different sports, general managers in baseball, soccer, hockey, basketball, about what, what's made them successful. And I think, although Lurie would never say it, and don't get me wrong, Howie still has a pretty sizable ego, I think one of the things that happened was Howie was able to kind of come back and say, look, I can't do this all by myself. He brought in Joe Douglas, who's played a huge role in this team's success, and probably will be. I mean, who knows when he'll leave? I think this kind of, you know, the icing on the cake in terms of eventually Joe Douglas will leave and he'll become a general manager for another team now that Howie's committed for so long. But I think Howie's willingness to listen to Joe Douglas, let Joe Douglas bring in his own people. Because really, if you're Howie, I mean, you would be worried about potentially being stabbed in the back again after what happened with Chip. I mean, Howie brought Chip in and Chip, and him ended up not getting along, and you know that was part of the reason he was pushed aside. So to bring in a Joe Douglas, even though you've been through something like that, I think is a pretty, it's, it was a sign of maturity by Howie, and I think that really impressed Larry. So with Howie, 
really is, you know, he's grown. He's a much better GM than he used to be. Obviously, let's see what the future holds, right? I mean, yes, winning the Super Bowl, like, it's the ultimate accomplishment. Let's see what they do next year. Let's see how this brain trust is able to adjust. Let's see if how he's able to build sustained success because winning it for one year is really good. But, you know, if it's another eight years until this team wins a playoff game, then obviously I think you look at Howie differently. But no reason to be negative on this Monday morning. I think it was a great decision by Jeffrey Lurie to wrap up Doug and, uh, Doug and Howie and make sure these people know that they have a lot of job security, that they are being paid, and that they were rewarded for what they accomplished last year. So big move for the Eagles, even though on one hand it was kind of a no-brainer. It still shouldn't be overlooked that you know Doug Peterson has gotten a contract extension. When he was hired, no one thought he would really be a good hire. Howie Roseman is back, not only back as general manager, he also has a contract extension. And this brain trust of Doug and Howie is going to be some a duo we talk about on this podcast for years to come. So, okay, I had to get back with that breaking news. Couldn't let you guys go Monday morning without – I couldn't give you a new podcast without talking about that. That just wouldn't be right. So now we're going to get back into fresh content, ESP pod number two, talking about Carson Wentz, how special this team was, and all types of other different things. What is going on, everybody? Brand new episode of the No Huddle Show here. I am Elliot Shore Parks, and we have an ESP pod on your hand today. I uh, did one last week for the first time. I really appreciate all the feedback I got on that one. And as always is the case with the Eagles, plenty has happened between last week and today. So I'm excited to kind of get into the past week and answer all your questions. I got a ton of questions on Twitter. Uh, got some mailbag email questions I want to get to. So as always, I love interacting with the Eagles fans. I love Eagles Twitter. And I want to answer those questions. So we'll take some time today. Lots of new stuff to talk about. I have a proposed trade uh, someone sent me. So we'll get into those in a little bit. But before we start, I kind of want to talk about the word special, right? Because the Hall of Fame induction was this past weekend. And as all Eagles fans know, it was a big weekend to be an Eagles fan and to be a member of that organization. You had, obviously, Terrell Owens involved. Uh, Wasn't at the ceremony, but clearly had a big part of Eagles history, was on that Super Bowl team. And then, of course, you have Brian Dawkins. And it was just really cool to see everything that happened with Dawkins over these last few days. So I'm 30 years old. Um, you know, Dawkins, he was gone by the time I started to cover the team. And obviously growing up, he was a big part of that team. Um, to be quite honest, he never really resonated with me the way he has other Philadelphians. That That's just me. I was a big Allen Iverson guy growing up. But no matter, you know, whether he's your top Eagles favorite player of all time, everyone can agree he's one of the best Eagles players of all times and probably the most popular player of Eagles all time, uh, who, who has ever played for the Eagles. So over this past weekend, you know, you could really see how special this was for Dawkins, right? He's in Ohio. So many old members of the team were there. Hollis Thomas, Ike Reese, Donovan McNabb, Brian Westbrook. Um, Jeffrey Lurie was there. Howie Roseman was there. Just tons of old members of the franchise. Andy Reid was there. Um, a lot of the old coaches, Sean McDermott, Juan Castillo, uh, Ron Rivera, old PR, the old PR head, uh, Derek Boyko. So it was really a reunion, and it was special. I mean, Dawkins gets up there. He talks about everything he's been through in his life. He talks openly about his battle with depression. He talks about the moments in his life he didn't think, you know, he didn't think he would be able to go on both professionally and just in his own personal life. And it was, it was really a special moment. And as I saw him up there, it really made me think about this current Eagles team and maybe some lessons they could learn from the Eagles teams of the past and really some of the special Philadelphia teams in the past. Because when you look at the 2017 Eagles, 
Obviously, the Super Bowl championship is what everyone will remember for a long time. What I'll remember, though, is how special this group was. I mean, clearly they were talented, and coming into this upcoming season, they'll have some of that same talent. But really what they had last year was a special group, right? I mean, you could feel it start to build throughout the season. The 61-yard field goal against the Giants, um, the win over the Panthers on Thursday night, I think is the game that everyone, almost everyone on that team and you know, among the coaches will say that was the moment when they realized, okay, this team's really good. You come off a win, then you go on the road, travel to Carolina against a really good team. You win a physical game against a team that ended up being a playoff team and at that point was considered one of the best teams in the NFC. That, that was a special win, right? And then you get into everything they ended up going through, losing Carson Wentz, losing all those players that they did to injury, and remaining you know, the number one seed to the NFC, going through a bit of a rough patch with Nick Foles, but then, you know, you have the big, the, the win over the Falcons that they just squeak out, the big win over the Vikings, and obviously the win in the Super Bowl. You have the Philly special, and then you saw it at the parade, all these, you know, the, the team kind of dancing along with the fans and how close they all were, right? Like, this was a special, special team. And I've covered the Eagles now for six years, and clearly it's, it's the most special team I've been around. And as I look ahead to next season, I think, how are these? How are the Eagles going to repeat, right? And like, what can we expect from them? And to me, I think the toughest part of repeating in general, but especially with this team, is going to be recapturing that special moment, that 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 special bond that they have, their their ability to overcome adversity. And if you look at some of the special teams in in the Philadelphia sports history, they've had trouble doing that after these special years. I mean, to me. The team I'll always remember and will always be my favorite team of all time is that Sixers team that lost to the Lakers in the NBA Finals. And in some ways, they had a lot in common with this Eagles team that beat the Patriots. Uh, that Sixers team, Allen Iverson, always banged up. They lose Theo Ratliff to injury. They end up trading for Dikembe Mutombo. Um, you know, George Lynch was banged up in the finals, I believe. Eric Snow was dealing with injury. Aaron McKee was dealing with injury. This was a team that was probably the not was not the most talented team in the Eastern Conference. It definitely wasn't as talented as the Lakers, but they were able to come together and make it a special team. They, lo- they, they lo- uh, lose to the Lakers uh, that year in the one finals. And then the next year, they go 43-39. and 39. They, they lose in the first round of the playoffs, and it was they, ne- they were never really able to recapture that special moment. And you look at the Eagles that lost to the Patriots back in 04. Um, the year after that, they go. They went six and ten, I believe. Didn't even didn't even make the playoffs the year after they lost that Super Bowl. Um, didn't win another playoff game for two more years, and then you know ended up being a long time until they won one again. And then obviously, you we all know what happened last year. But after that 04 season, you know there was a whole To fiasco that happened, and they just weren't the same team as they were before. Now, this Eagles team is different for. A couple of reasons. One, they have a young quarterback in Carson Wentz. I mean, the, that Sixers team that lost to the Lakers, I don't want to say Allen Iverson was aging at all, but I think we can all agree that was the best he ever played. Um, the 04 Eagles team, that was the best season McNabb ever played, and they lost T.O., and that was kind of the end of their run. And I think that the difference is with this Eagles team is they are a young team at quarterback. Overall, though, they're they're not a very young team. I mean, Brandon Graham is coming off an ankle injury. Alshon Jeffries coming off sh- uh, shoulder injury. Jason Peters and Achilles. Jordan Hicks, um, I'm sorry, Jason Peters and ACL. Jordan Hicks and Achilles. So they have key members of the team that are coming off injuries. And that's kind of my biggest concern is can they recapture that special moment, that special feeling that they had last year that is so hard to overcome, that is so hard to recreate. I mean, and that that is my concern with, with Carson Wentz. So obviously we talk about Carson Wentz a lot. 
and will he be healthy? Won't he be healthy? But to me, the biggest question is not it, like when will he be healthy because he is going to be healthy at one point. He is going to play again, whether that's in week one, whether that's in week three, he is going to play. The question is, what kind of player will he be? And that's where I start to really kind of think. I, th- I don't think fans are focusing on that enough when they're, st- they're just focused on getting him back on the field. But he's got to recreate what he did last year. I mean, this guy was an MVP candidate last year, and he was the top reason the Eagles were good, as good as they were. Once Carson Wentz went down, the defense improved. And, you know, Doug Pearson did a great coaching th- job throughout the year. But especially once Wentz, once Wentz went down is when he really started to shine. But Let's not forget, the reason this Eagles team was so good is because Carson Wentz made them so good. He was elite on third down. I mean, absolutely dynamic when it came when it came to his ability to extend plays. I mean, this Eagles team was in some tough spots. But on, on third down, um, Carson Wentz was just, he was elite. That, that, that's really all, is, is all there is to it. I mean, on third, and down, on third and long last year, the Eagles converted 48% of the passes into a first down. That is unreal. That means when they were faced with a third and eight, third and nine, third and ten, Carson Wentz was able to turn that into a first down. That was 20% above the NFL average. 20%. I mean, that is going to be extremely hard to recreate. Wentz was 68% completion percentage on third and longs. NFL average is 54%. And he averaged two more yards per per completion than any other quarterback. So third down is where games are won and lost. Carson Wentz played at an unreal, almost unrepeatable level last year, right? So you had that coming in, going into last season. And the thing that really kind of made me think about this, you know, this whole narrative of will Wentz be able to keep it up? Will he uh, be rusty? Was looking at what he did in training camp last year. So obviously, if you follow me on Twitter, you know, I track every single throw that the, all the quarterbacks make in camp. And I did it last year, too. I've been doing it for a few years. Last year, obviously, Wentz was healthy. I had him at 330 throws over the 13 practices that we got to watch. Now, the reason that number's so high is because they had the joint practice with the Dolphins last year, and there was just more throwing there. But So 330 throws over 13 practices, 31 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. Obviously, that's elite production, and those numbers do a good job of showing how good he was in training camp last year. I mean, I remember watching him last year and thinking, this guy is a top three quarterback in the league regardless of age. Obviously, he took that strong training camp performance, carried it over into the into the year, and he had an amazing year. I think it was 33 touchdowns and seven interceptions, so so pretty close to what he had in training camp. But now let's talk about this year. So health aside, let's just talk about what he's done. I have him at, at six practices so far, 39 of 59, four touchdowns, four interceptions. So only 59 attempts, just as many touchdowns as he does as he has interceptions. Now, Obviously, that number 59 is going to go up, I would assume, although he is basically not taking any team reps over the last few days. But let's say he keeps up this current pace over the first six practices and he ends up doing the, th- you know, the full 13 that he did last season. He's only going to end up, I think, it's like something like 129 pass attempts. So almost 200 pe- less pass attempts than he had last year in training camp. And he's going to end up with four, eight touchdowns and eight interceptions on the same average. So he went from 31 touchdowns last year to eight this year in training camp. Now, training camp numbers, training camp stats, they can obviously, they don't tell the full story. I mean, you know, if you do a lot of red zone drills one day, you get more touchdowns. If the Eagles decide to really focus on running the ball, then you're not going to get as many touchdowns. But in general, the reality is he's not played very well in training camp so far. He just hasn't. I mean, health aside, he, he hasn't been very accurate with the ball. He's made some poor decisions. Um, he's missed guys that were there. 
And I'm not saying this to like raise the red flag or to, you know, come with a hot take saying, oh, Carson Wentz, maybe he's not that good anymore. No. What I'm saying is this guy hasn't played a competitive game of football since last December, right? He's probably not going to play in the preseason. He's essentially not doing 11 on 11 now. There's going to be some rust. I mean, he's not an eight-year veteran going into his ninth year. He, he, his uh, first year in the NFL, he played okay, right? Numbers weren't crazy. Second year, he was elite. But now you're looking at that third year where even if he was healthy, repeating what he did last year, recapturing that magic, you know, doing it again was going to be extremely difficult. But then you throw in the ACL injury, and he's just not getting the same amount of reps in training camp that he was last year. And people will say, okay, training camp reps don't matter, Elliot. You're making a big deal out of this. But let's not forget, Alshon Jeffrey barely took part in training camp last year. And although he was great in the playoffs, his regular season really wasn't that great. I mean, he was the only receiver in the top 20 of yards where the quarterback had less than a 50% completion percentage throwing him at, at him. So, you know, everyone says, oh, they, they spread the ball around. Like, no, that's not true. Alshon Jeffrey was, I think, like 15th in the league in targets among all position players. So he got the ball thrown his way a fair amount. The issue is he was just never really on the same page with the quarterback. I mean, a 47% completion percentage throwing at a receiver is not good, especially when you're talking about a guy that was that high up in targets. So Wentz and Alshon could have used this offseason to get on that same page, and now neither of them are practicing. Alshon is also not practicing at training camp, probably won't play in the preseason. So I just think when you look at Wentz, you look at where he's at, where he has to go health-wise, Yes, I think he's going to get there. I have no concern about him returning to 100% health. To me, the biggest concern is, and you hear players in the league talk about this, the offseason is really a time to, to fix what you did last year to improve your game. And Carson Wentz, although he is already, you know, I think he was voted the third best player in the NFL by his peers. So clearly he's already one of the best players in the league. Still a young guy, has some things to work on. And it was going to be hard to recapture that magic. Like I said, I mean, you know, the Sixers could never do it. That 04 Eagles team could never do it. It's going to be hard for the 2017 Eagles to recreate what they had last year. And that's going to be especially hard if your quarterback is, is not going to have the same type of season. And, you know, Carson Wentz has done some amazing things. Him going into week one against the Falcons with very limited reps in training camp, coming off an ACL injury, coming off, you know, missing games last year. If he plays that game at an MVP type level, four touchdowns, no interceptions, controls the ball, it would be one of the more amazing things I've ever seen because I really think the lack of training camp reps is going to hurt him. And when you look at this Eagles team overall with everything they have to overcome, recapturing that magic is going to be the toughest thing, I think, for this Eagles team heading into next season. So, all right, let's get into some questions. Um, as always, if you're listening, I love when people leave reviews. I, we, Me and Zach read a uh, review last week that had a question in it. So you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can uh, listen to us on YouTube. Um, you know, we're on Spotify now, so we're all over. And when you do listen, leave a review, I'll make sure I read it on the air and, uh, we'll answer it. So, all right, let's get into it. I have some Twitter questions here. This is from at pephead 54 with the Seahawks only asking for a second round pick for Earl Thomas. Why not give them that or McLeod and a third Jenkins and Thomas is secondary. I understand the money involved, but Howie is a genius. Yes. Howie is very good at the salary cap and I understand he would probably be able to make that work. Now, this year, that would be pretty difficult. I'm not going to get into the ins and outs of the money, but taking a guy like Earl Thomas on with what he makes would be hard. But let's just say how he could figure it out. 
So the issue with giving up a second round pick for Earl Thomas is that he is not under contract after this year, which means you would have to get, bring him in with the assumption you're going to be able to re-sign him. Now, do you want to give him a long-term deal? I mean, that's the reason he wants out of Seattle. It's not because he doesn't like it there. He wants out of Seattle because he wants a long-term deal. And obviously the Seahawks are hesitant to give him, give him that. And you have to ask yourself, if the Seahawks are hesitant to give him a long-term deal, the guy that's been in the building with them for, you know, since he's been in the NFL, they know him really well. They know his health situation. They know what kind of guy he is. And by all accounts, he is a great guy. But if the Seahawks don't want to give him a long-term deal, you have to ask yourself, why would the Eagles, when they already have a set of uh, safeties, they feel are, are, they feel are the best in the league? You can debate that, but certainly they're up there. I think after the 2018 season, you are going to see some potential turnover at safety just because I think Jenkins and McLeod both have cap hits over $10 million next year um, in 2019. I mean, uh, I think you could potentially see a change there with McLeod, but I think if you do, you're going to see the Eagles draft a safety high up next year and kind of bring him along quickly to get in there and play. Um, they asked Jenkins to do so much. I think it's going to be tough for them to ever move on from him until – you know, it's clear he's, you know, every player reaches it where it's clear he just can't play anymore. But I would be surprised if they wanted to give up a second round pick, even though they have two of them for Earl Thomas or McLeod in a third, because I just don't think that's a good use of your assets. I don't think, yeah, Earl Thomas helps your defense, but McLeod is pretty good. And the Eagles already have very good um, set of starting safety. So look, Howie loves to make trades. He's never afraid to pull the trigger on a big deal. I would be surprised if he went after Earl Thomas and gave up an asset like a McLeod or a uh, or a high pick to do it, just because I don't think that's the best use of their resources. And I think that Howie is going to be pretty convinced with coming back with that set of safeties. All right, but thank you for the question. All right, at Fern15 says, if Josh Adams plays really well during preseason, what are the odds they bring back Jay Ajayi? Okay, this is a two-part question. Let me start with the first part. Josh Adams is a guy that has really had a roller coaster beginning to his career with the Eagles. So signs as an undrafted free agent. I tweet out, Josh Adams is going to make the roster. I w- was convinced of that when they signed him because they're, you know, they need youth at running back. They're open to keeping a lot of running backs. They have to develop running backs for the future. Josh Adams is a guy that, like Corey Clement, was just very productive at Notre Dame, but people didn't really view him as, you know, your NFL type running back. And one thing uh, Deuce Staley, the running back coach, has always loved about Clement is his ability to simply produce, right? And you saw that last year. He just simply produces. And I think Josh Adams can be that type of player. But he comes to the Eagles. He misses all offseason practice-wise with a, a stress fracture in his foot. So he's you know starting by the eight ball. Training camp, didn't really, pra- didn't really partake in much team drills with the first three offenses during the beginning of training camp. Misses a day, says it has nothing to do with the the uh, frac- the um, stress fracture in his foot, but completely misses a day, right, uh, on the sideline. But here's where it started to turn around for Josh Adams. Over the last three practices, he's really played well, and you can see why he was so productive at Notre Dame. I mean, you know, he does kind of run standing straight up, which isn't isn't great for a running back, and, and with a guy that's six foot three, it certainly is going to expose to expose him to some big hits. But if he can fix that a little bit, I mean, this guy. This is not a great comparison, but kind of like pitcher Nigel Bradham running with the ball. I think they they look similar. Um, obviously, Nigel Bradham is, is bigger up top, but they, they have similar bodies in my opinion. And when Josh Adams gets going in the open field, I think he's the most intimidating running back on the roster because this guy is huge. Six foot three. I think he's like 220, something like that. He can really move. He's got long strides. There's been some times during practice where 
he's gone down the sideline for a pass and you know just watching him you know beat the linebacker it's tough to stick with him when he gets a step on you so I definitely think Josh Adams has some potential but he just hasn't practiced a ton preseason yeah as uh, as Fern 15 mentioned if he is really good in the preseason I think the Eagles will keep him but the question is what does that mean for Ajayi right so Currently, the Eagles have uh, Ajayi, Darren Sproles, Corey Clement, and then some combination of whether it is Josh Adams and Donnell Pumphrey, uh, potentially Wendell Smallwood, Matt Jones, like some combination of those guys, right? But for 2019, you can really say the only sure thing the Eagles have at running back is Corey Clement. And why is that? That's because Darren Sproles is probably going to retire after this year, and Jay Ajayi is a free agent. Now, the question is, how much do they pay Jay Ajayi? So thing that's, the, the issue with Jay Ajayi is not it, it, it's not his play I mean this this guy is probably a top six running back in the league in terms of production over the last two years so he's clearly a productive running back the issue with the Jai is his knees that's why the Eagles are able to get him from the Dolphins for just a fourth round pick that's why they haven't extended him yet and I think they'll be hesitant to extend him next year the question is what type of money is he going to demand to demand I think if a Jai has a really good year I don't think they would have any hesitations in bringing him back into the locker room, despite some of the things you read about him when he first was traded to the Eagles. But I do think that the health would be a long-term concern. So I think you're not going to look at a lot of guaranteed money. Now, Ajayi's knee issues are not, are not a secret in, you know, in Philadelphia. The NFL is aware that he had these knee issues. That's why he did fall out of Boise State in the draft. So the Ajayi one's kind of complicated. But I do think there's no way Josh Adams is productive enough this year where they're willing to let Ajayi walk. I think those are two different things. I think they want three or four running backs they trust. I think they would love to have Ajayi back after next year for the right price, but I don't think those two are related. All right. All right. Well, how about this? So we have at Maddie Wells, who tweeted me this question, but he's kind of, you know, he called the future. He said, assuming Corey Graham doesn't sign, unfortunately that did end up happening. Do you see Eric Reed a fit with the reigning Super Bowl champ? So, at Matty Wills, appreciate the question. Corey Graham did end up signing, so let me talk a little bit about what I think that means. Corey Graham signing was a move that everyone kind of saw coming. They didn't give out his number 24, so it really seemed like they knew all along he was going to be back. Um, he signed on Sunday. I think he comes back to the Eagles and steps into that role as your number three safety behind uh, McLeod and Jenkins, a role he played very well last year. Veteran guy, knows the defense. He, he'll be able to step right in presumably, and, and pick up where he, off left, where he picked off last year. Now, what does that mean for the roster? So you're, those are your three safeties you're going to keep, and you're going to keep a fourth. I think it is going to be Trey Sullivan, but the question is, what, what, what do they think of him? Are they, are they willing to put him in a game? Do they see him as a player worth developing? I think they do. Um, I talked to Chris Maragos earlier this week and asked him you know, where he's at with his rehab. He wouldn't say it, and I don't blame him, but I really think he's going to start the season on the pup. And it wouldn't surprise me, honestly, if he didn't play this year. Just because I think he knows how unique his knee injury is. He doesn't know the timetable. I think the Eagles would like him back, but I also think they're both going to be really smart about making sure he is healthy and ready to go. And I think that the Eagles don't really need him that bad this year. And I think the value he brings to the roster is more as a leader. I mean, the, the, he was a, voted a captain last year by his teammates. Um, I think just having him in the building, if it is on PUP or IR or whatever that might end up being, is extremely valuable to the Eagles. And I think he's worth the cap money of just having him in the building. So I don't think Chris Maragos will ever count as a roster spot. So I think those will be your four safeties, McLeod, Jenkins, Graham, 
and Sullivan. And it'll be interesting to see how much Sullivan ends up playing or what his role ends up being because it's going to be tough for him just because of the fact that with Graham back, he is going to be that third safety. He is going to be the guy that you know has the role he had last year. All right, next question, at Carl Brown. Is Mike Wallace in danger of not making the team? No. So definitely not in danger of not making the team, but let's talk about what he's done so far. Um, so far through camp, I have Mike Wallace. Now, again, this is seven practices. I have him with 11 targets, which is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 15th on the team. So 15 players have had the ball thrown, or 14 players have had the ball thrown their way more than Mike Wallace has. He's caught five of them. So five of 11 so far in training camp, no touchdowns, no drops. So not a great start to camp for Hollins. Um, it, that, again, to get back to the Wentz thing, like it shouldn't be overly surprising. I mean, you know, training camp, these guys need time to, to get used to their new teammates. Wentz is going to need time to shake off rust. Wallace is going to need time to get used to playing with these quarterbacks, get used to this offense. I don't think it's time to raise the red flag for Wallace just yet. I think physically he's shown a lot of good things. He's very quick. Um, pretty good hands. Despite the five of eleven thing is not like a drop thing. That's a uh, you know over the ball was thrown right. He went left like thrown too high from. That's like a timing thing. Getting it down with the quarterback. So I don't think he, I do think he will be an improvement over Torrey Smith on what he brought last year. I just think it might take a little time um, you know to get him on the same page with the quarterbacks, especially with Wentz hardly playing. I mean this is remember like, you know just like Alshon. Wentz could go into the season with only throwing at Wallace like 10 times in practice. So that's just the reality of having Wentz on practice, and it's going to be tough to get Wallace on the same page with him. Definitely not in danger of not making the team, though I think they still like him more than Matt Collins. Matt Collins hasn't had a great training camp, and I think the Eagles made it clear when they signed Mike Wallace that they want him over Matt Collins playing right now. I don't think they believe Hollins is ready. So Mike Wallace is going to make the roster. He's going to start. He's going to be a part of the offense. But it just might take a little time for them to uh, get on the same page with the quarterback. All right, here's a bit of a different question. Um, this is from at Brian at Twitter. Why do reporters only ask insightful and interesting questions instead of asking, oh, I think he meant to say, why do reporters, why don't reporters ask more insightful and interesting questions instead of asking a thousand questions about well, about when Wentz, how Wentz is doing at every press conference? So Basically, he's coming at the reporters and saying they don't ask interesting questions and they just focus on Wentz. Now, here's the thing about that, and it's kind of like a bigger picture type journalism thing. So we ask about what, in a way, the fans want to know what the big story is, right? And obviously, Wentz is the big story with this team, and he's something people love to read about and care about. So there's definitely been times in the past with covering this team where there's been a story that I've said like, man. Fans are going to be so into the story. Like, they are going to want to read about it. I'm going to write this, and it's just going to, it's going to go off. People are going to be tweeting me. Like, this is perfect. And then I write it. I write it once. It does well. Then I'm like, oh, let me do it again. I do it again. Nobody cares, right? So I can tell when a story matters and when people are interested in it. And the reality of the situation is every time I write about Carson Wentz, it does better than when I write about anything else. And I guarantee you if you ask every reporter that same question in terms of what they're seeing, Feedback-wise, I think that's what they would say. This is the most popular athlete in Philadelphia, besides maybe Joel Embiid. He's the quarterback. He's one of the biggest quarterbacks in the league. And he's coming off a major injury. I mean, this is a huge story with a ton of different angles to discuss. Now, a thousand questions about it? Like, yeah, I can see that point. I mean, I can see why 
Wentz probably, I mean, this guy does a press conference now, gets 20 questions, and 19 of them are about how he's feeling. And he can only answer that so many ways. So I do understand Brian's point in that regard. And you can see Doug Peterson feeling that way. I mean, he'll, he'll be up at the podium and he just smiles because he knows it's coming. He knows he's not going to reveal anything. And it's just kind of going through a meaningless dance. But that being said, you have to ask the questions because you never know what he is going to say. I mean, he was asked last week if he if he agreed, and this was probably like the eighth or ninth question of the day, if he agreed that Wentz looked like he was never really hurt. And Doug said yes. And that ended up being, I mean, that's a huge talking point there. Doug agrees that Carson Wentz does not look hurt. That's really good to know when you're thinking about, is he going to play? How are the Eagles viewing him? And that was eighth or ninth question of the practice. So I'm of the press conference. So I think it's important to continually ask him. I think people continue to care about it. But I can see how from fans' perspective and from the Eagles' perspective, how sometimes it might seem a little crazy how many questions they got about it. So I see your point, Brian, but it's a quarterback. I'm going to continue to write about it, continue to ask about it. People are going to keep reading about it because people really care. All right. This is from Justin Brown at my name is Jay Brown on Twitter. Thank you for the question. How are you feeling about Shelton Gibson? What does he bring to the table? Do you think he's offered a spot to to at least play during the season, or is he just inactive all season like last year? Interesting question. So obviously Gibson was off to a great start prior to going down with the concussion. I think that was like Tuesday or Wednesday of last week. Hasn't practiced since. I would be su- well, maybe he'll practice on um on Monday, but we'll see. Uh, as of right now, pro- well, he was hurt by this because he's gone down, but I've Gibson at eight catches on 11 targets, um, one drop. So he's had a very good camp. And I think that, you know, he's not like running with the first team yet. Obviously, he's gotten some snaps there just because, you know, Jeffrey's been down and they've been shifting some guys in and out. But in terms of his role on the offense this year, it's going to be tough for him to really carve something out because. Let's assume Alshon plays in week one and plays 16 games uh, like he did last year. He's going to be, once again, a top 15 targeted player in the league. And, you know, besides the whole Russ factor and all that, I think he could have a bigger year this year. With another year of the offense in his belt, with a year of playing with Wentz under his belt, I think he could have a big year. Aguilar has been absolutely dominant. Most targets, most catches in training camp. One of the best slot receivers in the league. He's going to be taking a ton of snaps. So you have already right there two of the three receiver spots where they're going to be getting a ton, you know, they're going to be taking all the snaps there. Then we talked about Mike Wallace a little. I think he'll end up playing the majority of the snaps, but even if he doesn't, those are going to go to Matt Collins. So it's going to be tough for Gibson to take over those role. Now, outside of just the receiver, the receivers, I think you're going to see the tight ends as a big part of this offense this year, uh, as they were last year with Ertz, but I think Goddard is really going to end up being a big part. I mean, Goddard right now, Second most catches of all the players in training camp. 15 catches on 19 targets, four touchdowns. He's been absolutely dominant in the red zone. So, you know, Gibson, you're looking at, once you factor in the running backs, like eighth or ninth of just, you know, not guys that he's not going to be able to surpass. He's not going to surpass Jeffrey, Aguilar, Ertz, Goddard, Wallace, um, Sproles, Clement. He, he's just not going to do that. Hollins. So it's going to be tough for him to kind of get a role. Now, if someone goes down, you know, I think it's possible, but I just think right now the Eagles are so talented with their skill position players. 2019, once Mike Wallace is a free agent, maybe they don't love what they see from Holland. Gibson continues to improve. Then, I guess, I think he could have a role in this offense. But this season, assuming he makes the roster, and I believe he will, um, he plays special teams, so I think that he'll be active. But, yeah, I, I just don't think he, he's going to have a very, a very big role um, on the roster this year. All right, speaking of the receivers... 
Um, at Justin Stanley asks, how many wide receivers do you think will make the roster? It's an interesting question and it's a complex one. So obviously you're going to have Jeffrey, Aguilar, Wallace, uh, Hollins, and those are your four absolute, no doubt about it, locks. I think Gibson is pretty much a lock. Um, I think he's your, your fifth guy as of right now. Um, but the competition there would be uh, Gibson, um, Marcus Wheaton, Kamar Aiken, uh, Aiken, and they all kind of bring different things. Gibson, they just used a fifth-round pick on him um, last year in the draft, uh, has some deep speed, has been one of the better receivers in camp. So I think they have a year invested of coaching with him. That, that would be tough for him to let go. Marcus Wheaton, a guy that can play the slot and the outside, has been a proven deep threat in the NFL, has that NFL experience. And for a team that's going to be playing in a lot of big games, if Jeffrey or Wallace were to go down, there is something to be said for, sign, for having a guy as a backup they won't be afraid of the moment. And Kamar Aiken kind of brings those same same things as Wheaton. Bit, bit of a bigger body uh, than Wheaton is. Um, hasn't, yeah, he, I guess he has had, you know, kind of the, sim, the same amount of success as Wheaton has, but I just don't think he's that deep threat that Wheaton is. So um, then I guess you have Greg Ward, but I don't think Greg Ward is going to make the team. Um, so if you assume they're going to keep those four, I think as of right now, the fifth will be Shelton Gibson. It kind of depends how many running backs end up keeping. Because I think they're going to keep 13 total receivers, running backs, and tight ends. So if you keep uh, the five, five, four receivers we just mentioned, and then you keep Sproles, Ajayi, Clement, and Pumphrey, that's you're up to eight, right? Then you keep Ertz, Goddard, Richard Rogers, you're up to 11. So you have two more spots. Now, are you going to keep a fourth tight end like Joshua Perkins? Are you going to keep a fifth running back like a Josh Adams if he does have really good preseason and you don't want to expose him to waivers? Or do you keep a six, a, a six receiver? Do you keep Marcus Wheaton? Do you keep Kamar Aiken? I personally think they're going to value keeping a four tight end or an extra running back over an extra receiver. So, you know, I've done my 53-man roster. I always kind of keep it around six. But now that you asked me, Justin, I do think it's going to end up being five. Um, I think Gibson's that fifth one. And, you know, barring injury and that type of thing, I think they're going to end up um, keeping five receivers, Gibson being the fifth. So, all right, next question. Elanio from Yardley, and thank you, uh, Elanio, for the question. You tweet all the time, so I really do appreciate that. All right, who is this year's Corey Clement? Now, obviously, when you're talking about this year's Corey Clement, you're talking about a guy that is going to come in out of nowhere, wasn't a high draft pick, end up being a really solid contributor. Maybe not, you know, your starting star player, but a very solid contributor. Now, the obvious answer in there in some ways is Josh Adams, but I don't think Adams is going to get the amount of touches that Clement did last year and be able to play that type of role. Um, obviously, Clement was a huge part of the Super Bowl team, and he was a huge player in the Super Bowl. So it's going to be tough for any player to kind of repeat that. Um, when I think about other players that could potentially be that guy, um, I don't think Goddard would qualify, although I think he'll have a good year. I think the cornerbacks are pretty set. Or, you know, how about this, at linebacker? Um, what about Camus Gruger hill Obviously, been on the team for for a few years, uh, so maybe he doesn't qualify. But I think he's going to come in, and he's gonna. I mean, he's been killing it in training camp so far. He's extremely athletic, good hitter, very fast. And I think that that third linebacker spot, there's really some opportunity there with Michael Kendricks gone for a player to come in, play three, four hundred snaps, and really make an impact. And Gruiser Hill is a guy that is great. Is should be great in coverage. He's looked good in coverage so far. Um, obviously, doing it in the game is going to be something different. I think he could end up being a big contributor. Among the late round rookies and the undrafted guys, though, like it's just tough. I mean, maybe Bruce Hector, since they're so thin at defensive tackle, um, it's not going to be 
I'm Matt Pryor, but he's an offensive lineman, so it's hard to say he's going to come in and make a big impact. I think Corey Clement was such a unique situation, and it was such a unique, you know, uniquely talented player to kind of fulfill the role that they asked him to. So I don't think there's going to be another Corey Clement, but like I said, I think Camus Gruger Hill is a guy that maybe this time next year we're talking about, wow, he really stepped up and helped this team. Um, all right. At the Griffin says... Is it possible that the Eagles are in the middle of a dynasty? Big question there. Um, I mean, here's the thing about the dynasty, right? Like, how many dynasties have there even been in the NFL? Like, the Patriots are a dynasty. The Niners were a dynasty. The Cowboys had a dynasty, as much as I'm sure it pains Eagles fans to hear, hear that. These were all really long times ago. I mean, the Patriots, I guess, are still currently in their dynasty. Um, they'll end up with, what, five Super Bowls in 10 years? I think, um, right, because 04, so it, more than that. Um, but, you know, Brady will end up with five Super Bowls, maybe a six if he can get one this year. Um, repeating is really hard. As I talked about at the beginning of the podcast, recapturing the specialness that you had from a season is really hard to do. Um, only eight teams, there's only been repeat Super Bowl, Super Bowl teams eight times in NFL history. So it's going to be extremely tough to do. Now, what will qualify as a dynasty? If the Eagles don't win it this year, but they win three out of the next six, I think that would be a dynasty. If they win two out of the next five, is that a, di- is that a dynasty? So and that's tough to say. Um, it's also worth mentioning, like, can the Eagles repeat as NFC's champions? Like, I don't think a team has repeat as, NF- as NFC's champions in 13 years. Uh, remember, the Cowboys in 2016 won 13 games. I predicted the Eagles would win the division, even though everyone thought the Cowboys would. But it's just very hard to do. So... Are they in the middle of a dynasty? They're definitely not in the middle of it because they only won one Super Bowl and one division title. And prior to that eight years, they hadn't won a playoff game. So they're not in the middle of a dynasty. Could this be the start of a dynasty? Look, if Carson Wentz stays healthy, this Eagles team is going to be one of the best teams in the NFL as long as he's playing. That's just the reality of it. I mean, Aaron Rodgers every year, the Packers, when he's healthy, are one of the best teams. They're a team that could win the Super Bowl. Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, we'll see this year with Russell Wilson. Seahawks don't have a ton of talent, but he's a great quarterback. One of the Super Bowl winning quarterback, an elite franchise guy. If you have that type of guy on your team, you're going to be competitive every year. So if Carson Wentz stays healthy, along with Howie Roseman's ability to really focus on the lines and, and uh, you know build this team from the inside out, look, you're going to have to replace some guys. The offensive line's getting old. The defensive end position is old. Um, but I think that as long as Wentz is on the team, they'll be they'll they'll be very good. Now, Aaron Rodgers has only won one Super Bowl. Winning another Super Bowl is really hard. And I feel bad for Carson Wentz in that way that it's gonna be a lot more difficult to win this next one than it is the first one. Kind of for the reasons I started off talking with the podcast. Uh, you know, you gotta recapture the magic. You gotta come over these injuries. You have Wentz has to recover from his ACL. So it's gonna be very difficult. I know they're not in the middle of it. It would surprise me if they're if they're at the beginning of it because we've only seen three or four dynasties in NFL history. And there's been, you know, 54 Super Bowls, 50, 52 Super Bowls. I should really remember what, what number uh, the Eagles Super Bowl was. But, you know, it, it doesn't happen often. So they're, they're not in the middle of one. They're probably not even at the beginning of one. But I think that they are at the beginning of a good stretch here where this is going to be a very good, very competitive team of Carson Wentz and stay healthy. So thank you, everybody, that... Uh, that gave me questions. What do we end up doing here? Like seven or eight. So I really appreciate everyone that, that tweeted me a question um, for the podcast. As I mentioned at the beginning, go leave a review because when you leave a review, it helps out the podcast, but also it gives me something else to talk about. And 
you know, I'm still, like I, I said on the first one, I'm still new at these solo pods. I'm trying to get better at them. My top producer in the game, Andrew, gave me some advice off the last one. So I do think this one went really well, but I need some more questions for next week. So go review, go subscribe, ask some questions, and I'll make sure on the next podcast I'll answer them. Um, coming up this week, Eagles are going to have their first preseason game. But they play the Steelers on Thursday night at home. I'll be back with another No Huddle show with Zach as after the post game. I'm excited to do the post game pod. Those were some of my favorite last year, recording them at the link right after the game. So they're always on your podcast app the next morning. Or if you're staying up late, they're up like an hour and a half after the game. So we'll have one on Thursday night for you that uh, we'll talk about the first preseason game, who helped themselves, who hurt themselves, who cost themselves a roster spot, who really uh, you know might be move, moving towards one after their performance. So going to be a lot to talk about. I'll be back on Thursday with Zach. Thank you, everybody, for listening.